In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to So Bad It's Good with Ryan Bailey, the podcast where we cover all the pop culture we love to hate, from the classic reality TV moments of the past and present to the latest Daily Mail headlines and everything in between. We'll dive into all the infamous and notorious messes you can't stop watching. I'm looking at you, Jax Taylor. I'm your host, Ryan Bailey. Go, 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 go
Folks, that is what we call an advanced mashup. That that's not. This is advanced placement mashups right there. That uh, is this. Uh, oh, by the way, so bad it's good with Ryan Bailey. This is Ryan Bailey. Hi, it's Wednesday. You've done it. You've made it through the the hump, the hump as we we like to call it. Um, that uh, is a mashup collect of these two guys called the Hood Internet. And they're geniuses. Now, if you guessed it, all of those songs in that mashup were from the year 2003. So thanks for playing. But isn't that amazing? I Now, I call that advanced because usually mashups will have two songs mashed up together or maybe even three. This had like 36. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, you guys have been with me for a couple of years now. So I think you're ready for the hard stuff. You know what I'm saying? How are you guys doing? Are you good? I am I am all tired. I woke up earlier, early for me to talk to a, a housewife, and it was very exciting. I can't wait to share that with you. Um, and I just uh I'm on I'm just gonna be I, I'm on this detox, you guys. I have been dieting, but then my roommate convinced me to do this detox, this prolon, and uh I'm on day four of it. And I think I'm going to lose my mind. Like I, I, there's no thoughts in this brain. Like I did a two, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm useless. You guys, I am useless. So we're doing this show and I want to do this show because we have an amazing guest. Uh, I've been talking about her and her book now for a couple of weeks. Uh, her name's Danielle J. Linder Lindemann. And she wrote a book called true story. What reality TV says about us. And I just think this was just such an amazing book. It just came out. I think a month and a half ago, highly recommended on Amazon. This is, I, I talk about in the interview, I was like, you want to impress your folks? You read this book, you slam this book down on the uh, the old Thanksgiving table. Don't do the cop without a badge, Teresa Giudici, which we got to talk about in a second. Do this book, because this book is just, it, it, she points out so many interesting things. And this isn't a love letter to reality television. It's a love letter to sociology, to what these shows say about us. And I think as we get further into these discussions, our discussions, as I like to call them, um, you know, we, we do find out more about each other, right? We do find out um, so many things through these shows. And we have for the last, you know, two decades almost. 
And I just thought this book contextualized so much and it would, it made me feel so smart. You guys, <laughs> she's, she's a professor, you guys, she's a professor and she's on my show. And in fact, we talked about, I want to, I want to, I think I'm going to try to talk. Uh, I'm going to be a guest lecturer next, uh, you know, the next, what do they call this? Semesters? Yeah. Sorry. I went to Arizona state university, <laughs> eat your heart out other schools. Um, I was like, I should take this class because we were talking and I was like, you know, it's, I, I'm just looking for validation. <laughs> That's all I'm looking for. And I just, I wanted her to like me so much because I was, had such, I felt such joy reading her book because I had so many moments through reading it of just like, yes, exactly. She covers Kardashians. She covered The Apprentice. She, I mean, she talks about you know, all the Bravo shows, of course. I mean, she'll even mention 90 Day Fiance or or uh, Honey Boo Boo. I mean, she kind of goes everywhere. And I just, it was it was just a real joy to read. So I really hope you enjoy the conversation that we had. And I hope I can intrigue you to pick up a copy of the book or, or check it out at some point, because this is what it's all about, man. I love I love people that, that are able to interpret all of this stuff and kind of put it in their their own words about what we're watching and, and what it does say about us. I think that is so exciting. And that an extension of that, you know, or all these podcasts or even these memes, it's how you contextualize it and 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 put your special sauce on it and put it out there into the world now. But she makes just these great points about all of us, about all of us as a society. And I thought it was just really, really interesting. And we got to always allow for other, not other, because I, I, I agree with her in most of these instances, but just we got to make room uh, for all viewpoints, right? We got to make room because it's like really fascinating when people have something to say about the shows that we love. I mean, you guys are are no different in the sense that I'll I'll hear what you guys are are saying about these shows and it'll blow me away. I, I or I'll read a DM and you'll make a good point and I'll be like, "Damn, I didn't even think about that." That is really really interesting. In fact, I want to read you a DM uh later that I just got this uh this evening. But uh it, it's exciting. Like it's exciting. if you if you can take learning um in the true spirit of learning in that it's like a joyous thing and not get defensive about it. I know I've had uh, a couple of people in my life that they get really defensive because they think people are trying to say that they're dumb. And I'm like, no, I, you know, why would you ever take it like that? Like this, you know, when I'm in my most positive outlook, I will think that, you know, learning is just a great opportunity. It is just something to, you know, there's nothing bad that comes from learning. I mean, sometimes the learning process can be insanely painful, but it's really exciting to learn new things and to to hear people's you know viewpoints. Anyways, uh, enough about that. We'll get we'll get back to her in a sec. I want to do a couple news stories. My brain, like I said, is barely working, so I think I said possibly the same sentence 30 times in a row. Um, so I did the housewife thing. I talked to my manager and that's always, uh, that's funny, uh, because, uh, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and I, you know, so, uh, not skinny, not fat. Amanda Hearst. Did you see she had Kim Kardashian on her podcast? Uh, I, does that mean I could possibly get food God at some point? Like if she can get Kim, I feel like I should at least get Mason Disick or somebody like, come on. But I thought Amanda did really, uh, a great interview. We found a lot of, a lot of 
uh, interesting tidbits from Kim. Pete and her, that was not the first time they talked at SNL. They had talked actually at the Met Ball earlier, and she asked, she got, they exchanged numbers, and she asked for advice about SNL, which I was like, that kind of sounds like you just wanted to exchange numbers. You know what I'm saying? Like, also that Pete did not sign off to be filmed until the very last day because they were filming the new Kardashian Hulu show at SNL. And Pete wasn't even there, I think, until the last day. And he was the last one to sign off, which is very interesting as well. Um, I don't know, man. Like, did you see that all denim outfit that they wore out? Like, they're really full you know, when Kim, when Kim feels like she is allowed the proper amount of time to go, she's like, I'm fully in a relationship now. I gave Kanye his moment. I am fully in this now. And it's, uh, it's interesting. It's interesting. And also at the same time, and I don't know if you'll agree with me on this, I don't really care in the sense that I need to, I don't know if I need to know what makes them tick. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm kind of just, I'm in it for the photos. Like, it's pretty funny. And, uh, you know, I, I'm a little weirded out to see that photo of Pete with North, I think, cause that's just, that would be an interesting, that would be a weird photo with any, uh, divorced couple and their kid, you know, where you're just like, Ooh, yikes. You know, if my buddy was divorced and, and, you know, I saw the guy's new, uh, you know, the guy's ex-wife with a, with a new guy, I'd be like, Oh geez. It's, it's a, you know, a weird feeling. Um, so the uh, Kardashian Hulu show premieres, I believe, tomorrow night. It comes out on Thursday officially, but I think at midnight it will be on Hulu. So uh, it'll be interesting. Unfortunately, we will really not know the statistics, like I keep saying, on Hulu. But I bet you we get a press release. If I know the Kardashians, I bet we get a press release saying something like, the most, like, there was a shortage of power between the hours of this and this, which we can only attribute to the Kardashians on Hulu. Um, I also want to point out, like any reality show, you know, I go in with high hopes. I go, this is the moment where I'm like, this could be the greatest season of reality I've ever seen. But I know within 10 minutes, I will probably be disappointed, you know? Like, I've done too many Kardashian seasons where you're like, fuck yeah, man. They had the most exciting things ever happen in a family, in this family, and we're going to see it. And then it's 45 minutes of just complete horseshit, and then five minutes of actual, like, whoa. And I'm curious to see if this is what Hulu, you know, they have nicer cameras. You know, it's like, I always notice this when people get richer, it's all glossier and all that stuff, but the substance isn't there. So I'm really curious about the substance because if they truly allowed their lives to be filmed, like I always say, this could be the best reality show of all time. But the reality of that is that just is not the case. In fact, Kendall, they were on Jimmy Kimmel Live the other night or last week, and she was just like, yeah, I have restrictions about what I'll allow filmed and what I'll and like, by the way, dipshit, you probably shouldn't be saying that in an interview. It's like, come watch our show. I don't let a lot of myself be filmed at all for a reality show. But please, we're very excited to have you. Um, so at this moment right now, though, before it airs, we right now, this is what I love is the anticipation before, because right now it's a perfect show, right? There's no Rotten Tomatoes. There's just, it's a perfect show because nobody's seen it yet. As of tomorrow night, we will know the actual skinny and uh, it'll be interesting. I know it'll be a bad show if we see Food God immediately. I'm excited to talk about the Kardashians. I'm really on a Food God kick lately. I forgot how much I like talking about that guy. You know who else I like talking about in the sense that I don't like talking about it is... Uh, Erica Jane, what's going on, everybody? Remember me? I threw a guy's sales book in the trash. Well, folks, Erica went on a Twitter 
I don't even I, I don't know if it's a Twitter rampage. I don't even know what we call I think Twitter rampage almost gives it credit and I don't want to give her credit, but she uh she she was on a a, a tweeting spree tonight which only makes me think she was mixing alcohol and her antidepressants again as lisa rennett says hey you can't have both Erica. either the antidepressants or the alcohol <laughs> you're gonna have harry's bolognese <laughs> okay so yeah i'm a grown man whatever um so she started there's a there's a lot of these so so buckle in folks uh it's i'm collecting all the tweets there really is too many of them where i'm going to get bored halfway through this segment but hopefully you guys will uh you'll dig it okay here we go so erica tonight says uh says I'm going to read in the Erica voice. This is her tweet. Hi, I'm feeling very sassy at the moment. Bring that bullshit, Twitter. I always hate when Erica acts hip. It's like she, I I just don't see it at all. I think she's one of the unhippest people that tries to act hip. It's just like, hey, everybody. I just got a TiVo. It, uh, it's like uh, it tapes your TV shows. We're like, we know, Erica. It's like DVRs now. We all have it. Oh, okay. Well, very cool. Very cool. But like, bring that bullshit, Twitter. How about <laughs> you just pay some people? How about that? So Tamara Judge, of course, immediately jumps in. She's like a pig in shit. She's like, can I, can I get attention? She's like, come on to Tease Pod and be sassy with the twats. Okay. Uh, so then this kind of led to just so many different tweets. Let's uh, see some of these. Somebody says, what made you throw the book out? And she goes, Garcelle's Instagram post. No need to use my name or very complicated legal and personal problems to sell her book. She has enough friends to help her. Dot, dot. Because today, uh, Garcelle's book was released and a lot of celebrities, Jamie Foxx, uh, Drew Barrymore, I mean, just a who's who of actual celebrities said, you know, Garcelle's book day it was really positive. It was nice. And, you know, unfortunately, I don't think Erica would have that kind of same positive response. You would have like Tamara going, yay, Erica's book day. And you'd have Freddie Mellencamp going, yay, Erica's book day. You know, but you wouldn't have the Jamie Foxes. You know what I'm saying? Um, and then here's another tweet. Somebody wrote to her, hi, is it true that Garcelle trashed the whole cast on her book to get publicity on her book? And Erica goes, just Lisa Rinna, Kyle Richards, and Amelia Hamlin, a teenager. Uh. I, I don't, I haven't read the book, but I guess she talks about him in there. I don't know. Then here's another one. Erica Jane, do you think Garcelle goes in on you ladies because she doesn't view you guys as a friend and more as co-workers? And does it bother you that she might only view you guys as co-workers? And then Erica Jane responded on Twitter, she's easily produced. Girl, don't even get on that. She's easily produced. We could say Tom easily produced you for the last decade. Don't even. Like, this is the problem with people. They think they're, like, too cool for school, and they just, I feel like this all came off as sad. I don't know which people out there were like, go, girl. Wow. You know, I thought it was all just lame. 
This red is just lame. I could be in the minority here, but if you add this crap on top of the preview, on top of the trash can, like Eric is desperate or I just feel I'm like, what will like diff eyewear not sponsor you? Like, what are you what are you gunning for here? What, what, what are you doing? Like, honestly, I've now spent a year and a, a year. Is it a year and a half, a year and a year and a couple months of just like going, what are you doing? Like, I don't even think like it doesn't even work on like a funny level. Like this isn't even cute or funny or any of this. I don't know what she thinks she's doing. So um, let's see here. Uh, somebody writes, drag them, queen. And she goes, so many feel the need to jump in. Do it yourself if you're feeling bold. <laughs> like what? Okay. <laughs> uh, here's one. How do you feel about all the real celebrities celebrating Garcelle's book? I went New York Times bestseller with no real celebrity. Quote, celebration. So what are you asking again? <laughs> I asked Derek, I don't even know what any of you guys are saying. This is so dumb. Here's one. Dana goes, uh, Garcelle's going to pay the rent this month after the free promo you have her, sis. Hashtag charitable queen. Uh, and then Erica goes, she should cut me a check. Yeah, and then you should give it directly to the victims, which we know you are not, like, really willing to do. Um, and then this uh, account, Alex by Aline 2, wrote, You want money from Garcelle? Who do you think she is? A plane crash victim? <laughs> Damn. Oh, my gosh. Uh, here's one. This is interesting. Somebody says, What old rich men are you hoping to marry next? And she goes, I'm still married. <laughs> oh. See, now I finally believe in the sanctity of marriage. This is nice. Here's one. Just did Tom and I, um, just did Tom and I gave him more than what you could ever give him in 20 plus years, baby. Oh, just did Tom. Like, I think this person's saying I just slept with Tom. Just did Tom and I gave him more than what you could ever give him in 20 plus years, baby. Like I've said, for you guys don't know Twitter, it's like a trash can. It is a minefield. So people just pop off stupid. Like this person obviously didn't sleep with Tom, but she goes, good for you. How did it taste? Like she's trying to be hip and like trying to be sassy, but it just, it's just so sad. Here's one. Erica, why are you acting this way? You have such potential. Use it for good things. Go through what I'm going through. Then we'll compare notes. Fair? Question mark. Here's one. You posted two tweets immediately after this because you know you're wrong here. Garcelle is so much classier. If you say so, but I actually have contact with her. So my experience is quite different than yours. <laughs> um. Here's one. Any reaction to people who say you're jealous of Sutton and Garcelle? I am not. We all have interesting, busy lives. <laughs> we all have interesting, busy lives. Here's one. You didn't even write your book, Erica. I had a co-author. Many people do. <laughs> uh, here's one. Okay, what's the difference between Tom and a potato? And Erica goes, mush. Like, I... You know, that barely, barely works as a joke, you guys. And she was probably like, damn, I'm like Joan Rivers over here, just throwing out pearls. Here's one. Uh, are you still being an asshole to Sutton, or have you gotten over yourself now? And she goes, I am what I am. Fabulous. <laughs> 
And then this girl I follow on Twitter, Sophie, uh, Sophie Claire, not Sophie Ross, goes, new music when? And she goes, very soon. Which to me feels like a threat. I feel like Twitter should have taken. That feels very threatening to me. So, um, And then there was one, the craziest one. And if the kids are with you, I got to tell you, get the kids out of the car. Because this one was the most, like, this was just death. This is her trying to be, like, just too, too much. Um, this guy, Joe writes, who would you rather Jay Edelson or Ronald Richards? And she goes, they couldn't take it. Like she's that much of a sexual being. Uh, she's like Bronwyn Wyndham Burke. <laughs> and then this guy wrote Hollywood done wore that out, bitch. Your C L I T has left your body. And then she quote tweeted that and goes, and this is, but this is very adult. She goes, my C L I T. I'm spelling it out, but you guys can spell, you know, you guys say that. My CLIT is swollen and the cat is squishy wet. Like, what? What? It would, it would, it would, what are you, Larry Flint? What are you, I mean, what are, I don't, like, first off, gross, like, literally gross. Like, I have to think about Erica Jane's wet under regions? No, no, folks, no. So, I don't know. This is all happening in a lead up to the show, and I guess we're supposed to care. But I, I, I just it it makes me laugh. I mean, I don't think it makes me laugh in the way that she's. I think she thinks she's being a real, you know. I don't know. Like, what do you, I think she's thinks she's being a real like this is, you know, I'm a legend, guys. I, I don't know. I got to think more about it. But it just it really made me giggle. What didn't make me giggle, but who has made me giggle a lot in my life is Gilbert Gottfried. Uh, Gilbert Gottfried is a uh, stand up comedian who passed away today, which is just, uh, you know, one of the best roast uh, comics out there. Uh, if you've ever seen um, a film called uh, a documentary called The Aristoc- Aristocrats, um, it, he, uh, he, it's a joke about a stand-up comedy, uh, bit that will always like go off the rails and he's in it and gives one of the best, uh, versions of that joke on a document. The whole documentary is hysterical, but he is just amazing. And he was, I've had so many, I've, I've laughed so much because he was just merciless and it was the best when people and he he had he was merciless at times when it affected his career. I remember he was the uh, the gecko uh, for the insurance company. Remember he like Affleck? Oh no, he's not the gecko. He was the Affleck. Affleck. He was that guy that used to be the duck. And then he made a joke about air this uh, airplane crash, which was just you know it's like your standard joke that you know people like him tell and he got fired and it was like a big gig this was like 15 years ago or something and um but he passed away uh he was in his 60s young still um and it really that is really sad you got him and bob saget louis anderson so many good comedians have passed away and i don't think uh you know this one was just just we it's just these things happen and you just don't expect them they're out of the blue and I I keep saying this and I hate that I have to keep saying this because it just keeps happening but it's like you realize oh shit this is just going to keep happening and no it scares me you guys I've said this to before too is that we make so many so many and this is a good thing we make so many people spe- well not 
So many people are special in this world. So many people do amazing things or help us through our lives when we're sad and we need a laugh or we want to hear a beautiful song or we need to listen to um, read a book. There's so many great artists out there. There's so many people that really provide and, and you can even, you know, this siphons down to even just our friends being there. But we have so many people now that do these special things and we, we see so many of them now. And I'm just so scared for the future because it's like, we're going to be mourning people every day and it's going to be something, somebody special every day on top of the, the special people in our actual personal lives, not just these people that mean something to us in an artistic sense. So Gilbert Gottfried, rest in peace. I, I, I think your comedy will live on forever. So, uh, I, I probably will watch some, uh, roast uh this next week just to uh, honor him to pay homage i will tell you i'm not fully invested in youtube yet but youtube is a great place for his you know i did this when norm mcdonald passed away the comedian i typed him in youtube and just watched so many hours of talk show appearances with him because he was so good and just so special and i'll do the same thing with gilbert youtube's a great resource for that also you might be able to hear my little doggies with me still brooklyn and she's like little snoring in the back she's like which oh i think she heard us never mind okay oh there she did i don't know if you can hear that uh anyways so rest in peace gilbert Gottfried. uh there is not anyone else like you out there and uh yeah okay this is not reality uh, based, but like I was saying, uh, I even say in this interview, though, true crime and stuff like that is becoming more kind of re it's all pop culture now. It's like very confusing because it's all under the guise of entertainment, which is so weird. But I don't know if you guys follow this Sherry Papini case. Um, remember, there was a disappearance. She was a California mom and she was charged with staging her own disappearance. This was in November of 2016. She said she was kidnapped by two Hispanic women and held at gunpoint. And she even worked with an FBI sketch artist to come up with a sketch of the alleged kidnappers. And they both had like these bandanas on the sketches are wild. Um, and she was dropped off and like, you know, had bruises all over herself, had shaved her hair, said they did it. Um, and uh, last month she was arrested and charged for allegedly making this whole thing up. They finally had evidence years later that she was staying at an ex-boyfriend's house. She's married with a family. It's wild. Uh, so Papini was charged with making a false statement and mail fraud. And the judge said she was facing a maximum sentence of five years, 250,000 fine and 20 years, 250,000 fine respectfully if convicted. Um, so, Sherry copped a plea deal. Um, so we will, uh, she'll plead guilty to counts of lying to a federal officer and mail fraud. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, in this. She did release a statement, which I thought was interesting. I am deeply ashamed of myself for my behavior and so sorry for the pain I've caused my family, my friends, all the good people who needlessly suffered because of my story and those who worked so hard to try to help me. She adds, I will work the rest of my life to make amends for what I've done. Uh, the plea deal has not been delivered to prosecutors yet, though the same prosecutors have not yet filed a sentencing memo with their recommended sentence. So this will play out further. But I got to say, I always love when people take responsibility for their behavior. Uh, I'm sure this is under duress here and she just wants to try to do the minimum sentence. But at least she's finally admitting it. Right. Like at least at least you can say that. But I mean, there was like a GoFundMe. I think people raised like fifty thousand dollars. But this is wild. No, what scares me, though, you guys, what scares me is that people are going to be gunning for the first interview and she could end up making more money out of this. And I feel like there should be some law 
where people can't make money off of their crimes. Like people like, you know, it's like Jen Shaw, when she finally gets convicted, should not then be able to sell an interview to Bravo and make money off of that. You know, I feel like money needs to go to the victims or be put into a trust for kids or, you know what I'm saying? Like it is that that's the part that frustrates me in this. Um, Let's see, JLo and Ben back in the house hunt. They, they, their property, the 55 million one didn't go through. I guess they didn't take it at the last minute. Jennifer Lopez and Ben. I love it. I'm like JLo and Ben. Like, yeah, well, you guys probably do know what I'm talking about, but I love I treat them like, you know, J, J Liddy and uh, B Dog. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to think if there's any, uh, oh yeah, that Kim and Pete thing that I said they went out the other night and they they took those photos and they were in kind of matching blue. They were on a double date with, get this, you guys, Jeff Bezos and Lauren Sanchez. And they, they edit, they ate at AOC, which is a, uh, a restaurant out here in West Hollywood, not the uh, politician. And uh, I'd like Jeff Bezos, like, <laughs> I mean, do you, I mean, this is where I sometimes think that we're living in some kind of simulation because I mean, why is, I mean, why is Kim even, why is Pete Davis? Why are they, why is Jeff Bezos involved? Like what? Why? Like, wouldn't you say, uh, I don't, I don't sometimes as much as I love pop culture, I don't know if I, it still surprises me. It's still like the weirdest shit happens. And I sometimes just don't understand it. Also, we've been talking about Ezra Miller lately, uh, the flash star that Warner brothers had an emergency meeting of now, two interesting things happened in this case. Remember he had like 10, uh, calls to the cops about him for different instances. He looks like he's doing fine. He, uh, was dancing at a lounge in Hawaii, uh, this weekend, and there's video of him, not a bad dancer, dancing by himself in a very not packed club. Never a good sign when you have somebody confidently dancing by themselves in the afternoon. <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, eyewitnesses say Ezra was all over the place at the Hilo Axe Lounge in Hilo, Hawaii, Friday night. Their moves caught the attention of the crowd with one witness calling it comical. <laughs> By the way, that's how my dance moves are described as well. Comical. Ezra was dropping it low and trying to break dance for the patrons, shaking their long hair back and forth for the camera. Ezra has been running into trouble. Yeah. So the other thing was the couple, remember he had uh, got into a fight or like, he was in this couple's house and they filed charges against him. And, and I guess they dropped the charges with prejudice, which means that they cannot file again, which to me means they were paid off. Uh, you guys know, it just doesn't make sense otherwise. Like, why would they do it with prejudice where you cannot file again unless you were paid off? Oh, and finally, Real Housewives of New Jersey tonight, we get Teresa doing like close to a table flip on Margaret. She lashes out at Margaret at dinner, throws glasses. Louie's right next to her, that red faced uh, dude. And uh, it's, you know, Teresa just has so many double standards. I appreciate what she, who she is and what she means. And I think she's probably a nice lady. If you, you know, if you actually know her away from the reality show, but on the reality show, I don't know if it works so much anymore when she just plays by her own rules and nobody else's, you know, I do. I find it interesting. She moved into Louie's house. They're like, I guess got a house together and all the girls were moving their stuff over. And I got to tell you, man, that Louie is sometimes charming where I almost buy into his shit. And the only thing that stops me from doing that is there's so many reports of him 
doing just kind of horrible things. And you can't just change. And if that was the case, why wouldn't he ever then go, yo, I did do all of those things, but I have worked my ass off to change. But we've seen in past episodes where he's blamed the women and things like that. It's always the, oh, they're just talking out of their ass kind of a thing. Um, I don't know. So I don't know what you guys think, but it's, um, I, I enjoy the season of Jersey, but it's just kind of a weird season because everybody's scared to all, they're all scared to, to ruffle Teresa's feathers. And so it's not as dripping, gripping or, or dramatic as it could be. I mean, you, you have these big explosions, but I, I don't know. There's, there's something I don't know. It just doesn't add up to me sometimes. Uh, you guys, that is the news for today. I'm so excited for you guys to hear this interview. Uh, her name is Danielle J. Lindemann. The book, you guys, which I want you to get, called True Story, What Reality TV Says About Us. Now, I say this in the intro, but who you're about to hear is an associate professor of sociology at Lehigh University who studies gender, sexuality, and the family, sexuality, the family, and culture. Um, she's been published in the New York, she's been featured in the New York times, the wall street journal, the economist, the Atlantic, the Washington post, rolling stone billboard, and the chronicle of higher education. I've been featured in like cat fancy and mad magazine. So, uh, I don't know. She was great and she was just such a joy. So without further ado, folks, here is my interview with Danielle J. Lindemann. I hope you have a great rest of your Wednesday and I will talk to you again on Thursday. Bye. Folks, welcome back to iHeartRadio. So bad it's good. Today, we have a guest that I have wanted to have on uh, since I read about her book. Uh, I have a, a Google alert set for reality shows now, which is usually just a really dangerous thing, but sometimes you'll find a gem in there. And I found a gem. Uh, you guys know how I think that we are some of the smartest people out there. You guys, the listeners, the people that love these shows, there's kind of this weird brilliance that I really appreciate. And I even appreciate more as the years go on. You guys are so smart, so funny. Uh, but this book that I read is actually written uh, by an associate professor of sociology. And uh, it's called True Story, What Reality TV Says About Us. And let me just quickly read a, a caption from the very beginning. It says, Reality shows or this genre is a funhouse mirror, to be sure, but one that powerfully reflects the contours of our social world. It takes the elements that are central to our culture, our collective preferences, our norms and taboos, and the jagged edges of our social inequalities and beams them out to us in frenetic detail. So, you guys, I am so proud to have somebody actually that's smart on this show finally. It's just can't. So, Danielle J. Lindemann, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me on. Oh, no, now I have to be smart. Uh-oh. No, I know. No, no, feel free. No, <laughs> let me, I want to bring you down. I want to bring you down to my level. Um, thank you for writing this, first off. This this is such an exciting thing for me to have read. Um, and I know this is a love letter to, uh, you know, so, you know, sociology, not necessarily reality shows, but I would love to know why you chose reality shows, uh, why that lens to talk about us as a culture. Sure. So, you know, I kind of from the beginning of the book center myself as a fan. You know, I'm unabashedly a reality TV super fan. So when people say, when did you start researching this book? I mean, I've been researching <laughs> this book since I was 15 and I first saw the real world London, which was really my first exposure to reality. Which, TV. by the way, you say in the book, real world, like that was your first one. And to me, that was the most boring season of the Everybody real world. Says that. But I mean, we were watching a guy put on a one man show at a certain point, but I love that that was your entrance point. It's usually real world or survivor or something like that. 
Well, yeah, Survivor was a huge one, right? I mean, the real world ones, I mean, a guy had his tongue bitten off. Come on. Like. Yeah, but Danielle, the, the first couple seasons of the real world were so much more gripping. In fact, you talk about the real world in your book and that first season, it was one of the best examples, I think, of, uh, of us as people interacting with other people. And I don't know if we've ever gotten back to that good, uh, that, that first out of the gate. I'm sure you've watched the real world yeah, now. I don't, yeah, I don't think we can go back. We can, you can never go home again, right? I don't think it's possible. Um, we were having people get slapped at the Oscars now. That's reality shows <laughs> coming to like, I mean. Um, yeah, yeah. I know I've got a lot of questions about that slap and how it relates to kind of uh, our taste for reality TV, what it says about reality TV. But yeah, so I center myself as kind of a fan at the beginning of the book. Um, and I am a fan of reality TV. Um, that doesn't mean I can't be critical of reality TV. I think there are a lot of kind of negative aspects of reality TV. Reality TV kind of highlights some of the most grotesque elements of our culture and perpetuates them, studies show. So- um, You say it's a mix, say, it's a real mixed bag. It's a mixed bag, yeah. But I mean, to say that that I'm a fan, again, is, is not to say that I, I can't be, be critical um, of the shows. But um, one of the things I love about reality TV is that it intersects so well with sociology and it's such a great kind of lens, a real funhouse mirror, as I say in the yeah. book, for really showing us our kind of social norms, values, the way that we interact. Um, I, I, it certainly does that. And, and, and in a weird way, like you said, I love that funhouse mirror thing because it kind of warps it in certain, you know, we, and now we're, we're actually, you get housewives, especially where they've grown up watching 16th season of housewives and they come in guns blazing and you get no sense of actual self anymore. They're just a character archetype instead of an actual human being, which is interesting in its own way to watch, but it's very different from where these shows started. Right, it's different, but again, as I put on the book, it kind of shows us in an amplified way how we're all performers, right? We're all kind of <laughs> yes. performing across the various stages of our lives, sometimes in ways that are incongruous with each other, right? The way that we perform at work is different from the way that we perform with our family. So the Real Housewives might be upset with Countess Luann because, you know, they say that she's not being real because, you know, she acts one way in one circumstance and a different way in another, but we're all doing that, right? The Real Housewives are just kind of doing that in really an amplified way. You talk about Countess Luanna a, a bunch of times in the book, which I love, but you even point out this is, a, I mean, it's almost like a Batman type existence. She is the Countess, even though she is no longer legally even a Countess, but it's all sometimes artifice with Luann, which is entertaining in its own way. And and I guess even to speak to a broader thing is that we all have our friends that uh, kind of portray an image of ourselves, like you just said. I love the image of Countess Luann as Batman. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Money can't buy a Batman. <laughs> um, so uh, you were a fan of the genre starting in in real world, and I believe you even didn't you use some of this even in your wedding vows? Didn't you name drop a couple of reality shows? I think we name dropped um, Bad Girls Club, and we name dropped Project Runway in our wedding vows. Yeah, I or I did anyway. If I yeah, if I ever get married again, I've gotta I'm gonna hit up a lot of reality shows. Um, can I ask what reality shows you are watching now, or are you reality showed out after this? I'm not reality. You know, it's hard because you know I am a professor as my kind of day job, right? And yeah, guys, we didn't even. She's written two other books besides this that have nothing to do with reality shows. I mean, it, it, it's really. I mean, this is somebody that is. Uh, studies gender, sexuality, the family and culture, her past books, commuter spouses, new families in a changing world and dominatrix, gender, eroticism and control in the dungeon. I mean, you really, I mean, 
you've got, I hate to like, you got a great mind. You, I mean, you are thinking big thoughts. You are actually like this kind of fascinating to me. Um, but you're not reality showed out. You're, you're so kind. Well, I do want to say that there's a common thread across all you might, it's, it's sort of like one of those Sesame street things. Like what do these three things have in common dominatrix? Hopefully that's not on Sesame street. Right. But dominatrix not yet. Not yet. It's, it's getting there. Real housewives and you know, commuter spouses, but I'm a sociologist who looks at what we call deviance, which is a kind of a loaded term. Right. But in sociology, we just tend to think of it as behavior that falls outside the norm. And we argue that by looking at people who engage in behavior that falls outside the norm, we can better understand kind of society's norms more generally. Um, so I'm taking this idea to, you know, reality, reality show stars, right, who are behaving in these ways that are exaggerated, amped up, totally zany, right? You might think they have nothing to do with our own lives. But actually, by looking at kind of these caricatures of our own behavior and by tracing them, we can come to a better understanding of ourselves. Which doesn't answer your question. No, I'm not reality showed out. I have a long list. What are you watching? What are you, what are you, what are you watching? Do you binge? I have to be totally honest. I'm not watching anything right now because I'm in the middle of my semester. So I don't have time to watch any TV right now, but I, but I do want to watch, um, Selling Sunset, which I have to confess to having never seen and everybody recommends to me. And so that's top of my list. Well, I, I can't wait for you to watch it because I'm so curious of your thoughts of like my theory on selling sunset is that it's 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 drug like they they hit you with so much uh, pounding music. They hit you with like like beautiful lighting like the hills used to have because it's the same producer. But there's not much substance there. These seems like automatons or, you know, just very people that you would not even recognize. There's not really a lot going on, but somehow you want to keep digesting it. Um, and I feel like there's a very certain formula of certain types of reality shows and selling sunset falls into that. Yeah. Number that's the number one show that people ask me about or recommend to me, which is fascinating to me. So I have to dive in. You deal with the Kardashians in the book as well. And, you know, you present uh, that they were called like, you know, America's first family. And we're about to get another uh, whole Kardashian launch on Hulu, even though they've never really gone away. Um, And it's very interesting to see how they've changed because of a reality television. Like we've changed with them in certain ways, but from where they started to where they are now. uh, I mean, if you go back and watch that first season, it is so, so different. Yeah, I actually assigned. So I teach a class on the sociology of reality TV. You made me want to go back to college. Like, I literally (laughs) want to go back to college because of this class. Well, you're welcome to audit anytime. Um, But we look at actually the first ever episode of the Kardashians. And then my students are just kind of blown away because most of them, you know, they're younger. So they really only know the Kardashians as they are now. Right. And so it's it's almost, you know, very like almost like naturalistic or simplistic that kind of <laughs> it, first episode. It looks like cinema Verita. It looks like a documentary by Errol Morris all of a sudden, you know, to compared to what it is now. But it's really interesting to think about sort of what a hand the Kardashians themselves have played kind of in their success and especially in their self-branding. Like, you know, people often say they're just famous for being famous. What have they ever done? Right. But first of all, there's always people who've been famous for being famous, right? Royalty are famous for being famous. So that's not new. It's not didn't originate with the Kardashians. But the Kardashians, I mean, arguably, like really did a really kind of amazing job of working these kind of self branding platforms and really kind of selling themselves, as Kim even said at one point, kind of to the world. Um, So however you feel about the Kardashians, it worked. It worked. worked, Right. They did it in a very shrewd way. Right. And they had a really keen sense of what consumers wanted to consume. Um, and they played directly into that. I was Whether you like about, them or not. 
Yeah, exactly. Well, it almost doesn't matter at this point. Like it almost doesn't like that's not, like you can hate watch it or you can love watch it. It, it doesn't matter. It's really fascinating because uh, I keep talking about hate watching. It's becoming more and more popular uh, in reality shows like even like the Kardashians, I think, fall into that a little bit where we're just as passionate about disliking a show as we are about liking a show. And you really see that with reality shows. I wanted to ask you about, um, you know, the housewives started off, I believe, as an aspirational show. You know, like you saw this wealth, these riches yes. beyond your wildest dreams, these beautiful gowns and great makeup and all of this stuff. Um, but then you compare it with TLC, which is like if you have a, a wart on your toe, they'll give it a series. But you <laughs> you talk about Honey Boo Boo in this. You talk about 90 Day Fiance. And to me, those are very two, two way different types of shows. Can you talk a little bit about the difference in your opinion? I think they are two different types of shows. I think, you know, I would put them all under the umbrella of reality TV, which is a big umbrella, right? You know, as I say in the book, reality TV, the way that I'm defining it is just you know, TV that d purports to show real people, people behaving as themselves, <laughs> right? And it's also, its function is to entertain rather than to educate, right? Even though sometimes we do learn things from real. I've learned so much from RuPaul's Drag Race, um, but that's sort of a byproduct. <laughs> Folks, summer is just around the corner, so it's time to say goodbye to those jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. Now, I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune, and luckily, I found Quince. Now, I have a lineup of timeless pieces I want that will keep me looking fresh year after year. I got a pair of tan shorts. I got a pair of green shorts. I cannot wait to style these for summer. And I got to tell you, the quality is great because Quince has all the seasonal must-haves, like 100% European linen shirts from $30 performance polos and versatile flow knit activewear. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman by partnering directly with top factories and passes that savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. So you can feel good about what you're wearing on every level. So upgrade your wardrobe. Go to quince.com slash so bad for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash so bad to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash so bad. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We will be back to the show in just one second. Now is my favorite part of the show is when I get to talk about our sponsors. We have one sponsor today and it is a new sponsor and it's a really good sponsor because they sent me a bunch of amazingly good free healthy food. Of course, I'm talking about Splendid Spoon. Um, days for me are crazy. And I tell you guys this all the time. I just want to be told what to do. Like I, like I don't have time to sometimes cook. I don't have time to do things that I should be doing, but that's where Splendid Spoon comes in. Um, because they send you beautiful meals, just beautiful meals that you just have to heat up or drink and you feel good and healthy and it's good for you and it tastes good. Um, 
We'd all know that we are what we eat, right? But it can be tough to make time for shopping, meal planning, prepping, cooking. So why not get straight to the good part with great meals that require no prep whatsoever? Say it again with no prep. Splendid Spoon sends delicious plant-based meals and snacks right to your door. It's ready-to-eat food designed to fit into your busy schedule instead of taking time out of it. So this is the part where they want me to talk about my experience, and it has been amazing, you guys. They uh, let me choose what I wanted. So they had like soups, smoothies, little health shots, noodle bowls, grain bowls, all low calorie, all delicious. Like truly, this was a joy to eat. Like I'm not like I really I can't say like it's one of those things that like I would want to do this. Like I'm might like and I just gonna say might. I might pay my own money to do this. That's how much I've liked it so far. Uh, Splendid Spoon takes the work out of eating healthy. Splendid Spoon meals are shipped right to your door, ready to eat. You'll only lift a finger to press start on your microwave. And I still managed to screw that part up. I was hitting all sorts of buttons. Uh, Splendid Spoon fits into any schedule and there's a meal plan for everyone. And every meal plan is customizable so you can get what you want every time. Like I told you, I picked my own meals. Every single meal is 100% plant based gluten-free and gmo-free always made with plenty of vegetables legumes healthy fats whole grains and spices from all over the world legumes is just a fancy word for beans you guys um somebody told me once i smelled like legumes and i remember that i will remember that to the day i die it was very it hurt it hurt (laughs) Enjoy a fresh take on classic dishes like their fan favorite vegan meatballs and marinara noodles, or take your taste buds on a journey with exciting dishes like cauliflower tikka soup, which was excellent, by the way. Uh, They've got plenty of smoothies, grain bowls, soup bowls, noodle bowls for you to discover. And with over 50 choices and a constantly rotating menu, there are always new dishes to try. I am so hungry right now. Plus, eating Plant-based food can come up with a wealth of benefits like improved energy, sleep, digestion, and complexion. Try Splendid Spoon today and take meal planning off your plate. Just go to SplendidSpoon.com forward slash so bad for $50 off your first box when you subscribe to the Breakfast, Lunch, and Reset Plan or the Breakfast, Lunch, Dinner, and Reset Plan. That's SplendidSpoon.com slash so bad for $50 off. $50, that's a lot of off. That's a great amount of money off. And also, I really do hope some of you guys do this because I really, this is like good. Like, please, if you do this, tell me because I really, I really dug this. This is actually a sponsor that I'm like, I want to do good for them because I want to get more free food. I'm just going to be completely honest with you guys. That is really good. So that's it. Okay. And now. Back for the remaining portion of our show. <laughs> um, but yeah, but they, they tell us different things about ourselves, right? I think, you know, Honey Boo Boo teaches us a lot about, you know, social class and the kind of narratives that we tell about lower class people and that we tell in order to kind of legitimate or justify the fact that we have a really like unequal class system in America. But the Real Housewives also teach us about social class just kind of in a different way that we kind of love to laugh at people who are ostensibly rich. And we can talk about how rich the real housewives are or are not. Right. But like ostensibly within the fiction of the show, they're wealthy. Um, so we like kind of like to laugh at people and poke fun at people who are ostensibly rich, but kind of don't know how to be rich. They don't have the accompanying what 
So sociologist Pierre Bourdieu would call habitus. So they don't have the accompanying like tastes and values and classiness, right? As Countess <laughs> Luann would say. Um, so I think those shows are very different, but they both kind of teach us about the class system in different ways. Uh, yeah, you bring up the point that reality shows, uh, it, it's a very unique uh, art form because it really requires or provides the audience to have a driver's seat in it, as opposed to a lot of like fictional or like narrative storytelling. The audience, I believe, is a, you know, they're bringing 50% of what makes these shows work to the show. Yeah, it's fascinating because, you know, people ask me why I enjoy reality TV. And usually my answer is other than the fact that I really like analyzing it, right? It's just, you can just let it wash over you, right? Yeah. There's not a lot of stake. Yeah, yeah. It's like, did Ramona invite Luann to the party or not, right? <laughs> there's no, there's not a lot of violence, right? But at the same time, we are kind of watching it in a more active way than we were watching scripted TV, right? In some cases, you could even vote on the outcomes. But we're on there and then we're going to our computers, right, or our phones and we're weighing in online on message boards. We're tweeting at the stars. We're doing right? a so podcast. Doing yeah. a podcast about it. Right. Being interviewed on that podcast. Right. All manner of things. Um, and reality TV has kind of always had that like multi-platform approach kind of baked into it. Right. Where you're watching Kim. But then you can go play the Pit Kim video game. You can tweet at Kim. You can read Kim's book. You can buy yeah. her skincare line. Yeah. Right? And you can interact. You feel like you're interacting with her right? in all these ways. And it's facilitated by the fact that you know Kim as herself. Whether or not we could argue that she's acting on the shows. right? Ostensibly, Kim is playing Kim on Keeping Up with the Kardashians. So we feel like we know her as herself which is really the difference between obviously between reality TV and scripted television, which really allows us to form those connections between ourselves and the stars. I always think it's interesting too, to come from, you know, growing up with primary primarily narrative storytelling with fiction shows and movies and things of that nature. But now with Kim uh, it's interesting because you, you get a new season of this and the big uh, the big character development is she got a new boyfriend. Like, oh, that's that's a character development now, but it's a reality show. But they're using it as like, you know, when Lady Gaga switches to her Joanne period or something. You know, I find it very interesting how that happens. You bring up with the Kardashians, like the, the social media of it all. In your opinion, will reality TV be antiquated at some point? Because now we have TikTok, we have YouTube, we are presenting our own lives as reality so much more than we ever have before. Is it making so much of this other stuff that is produced obsolete? You know, it's interesting. People ask me that all the time, like what the future of reality TV is. And, you know, I don't know. Reality TV always surprises us. Um I do think that, yeah, the kind of TikTokers and YouTubers are going to be the future of reality TV because you're cutting out the middleman, right? You don't need a production company. All you need is like a phone and maybe a ring light and you're good to go, right? And you can produce really quickly and these kind of these short kind of little bites. Um, and so, yes, that's wildly popular. But at the same time, you know, nearly half of all TV is reality TV. We don't seem to be moving away from these kind of episodic formats on kind of traditional TV. So it doesn't seem like right now reality TV in, in its kind of traditional format is going anywhere. It seems, in fact, it is proliferating. Um, but, you know, at the same time, I do possibly see at some point it kind of getting supplanted by these kind of um, kind of DIY, like do it yourself reality yeah. TV stars. You have this kind of jaw dropping uh, statistic in there. Uh, I think it was 2017. Was it like 188 out of 400 shows were reality yeah, shows? Yeah, nearly half. Yeah. I mean, that's and wild. I don't, as far as I know, that ha that number, that percentage hasn't gone down. So, 
Um, so yeah, I know there's a lot of kind of, I don't want to say anxiety, but just a lot of talk about, well, will it be replaced by these kind of do it yourselfers? It doesn't seem right now that doesn't seem to be happening. Could that happen in the future? I think that's likely. Um, but I also think reality TV is going to keep seizing upon kind of new technologies that come up as they, as it always has right again with this kind of multi-platform approach. Okay. By the way, your favorite Countess Luann is selling her first NFT as of yesterday. I oak, of course she is. That makes she's selling it, <laughs> so and she's unfair. very proud of it. She's got she roped Dorinda into it too. So Luann is selling an NFT, which is really so uh, future forward. Is it about Giovanni? Did she wrote Dorinda into it? <laughs> she did. Like you got to go to her Instagram. She has like these random, weird, bizarre, dressed-up photos that she's selling as an NFT. But you get all of this other material with it, and I just love. That's the reality show I want. Is somebody explaining to Countess Luann what an NFT is? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No. So they'll, they'll seize upon NFT, like whatever, you know, crypto, whatever's around the band reality, you know, is it, are we going to have reality shows featuring like robots, only robots, and then they don't even have to deal with like flesh and blood cast members? Probably. Yeah. Right. Um, you uh, talk about the history of reality television in a, in a sense where I think one of the first ones was it 1972 with PBS's American Family. Yeah. In that yeah. time frame. And I feel like the evolution is interesting because you have like a, a wide range of time where there wasn't reality shows. And then all of a sudden the real world, I believe, was the first thing that really made things explode where it was on the cover of Newsweek even. And then Survivor brought in competition reality shows. Uh, in 2007, there was a writer's strike and that even brought uh, reality shows more to the forefront because it didn't have to be scripted. Um, but I do just wonder, like you said, you know, it's obviously not going away, but where do you go from here? Like you said, with the robots, like, is there anything that shocks you when it comes to reality television anymore? Is there still things that you're like, whoa, that is potentially crossing a line? Oh, look, are those, those are kind of different questions, right? Like, so does there anything that shocks me? Probably not. There's probably nothing unless they showed like graphic sex on like network TV. That might be surprising. Okay. Yeah. But I was like, I we're going to get you know, there. We'll get there. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, whatever, like dating with prosthetic noses, dating blind and underground bunkers, like, like whatever it is, you know, I don't think anything at this point could surprise me in terms of what reality TV produces. Now, do I feel like anything they've done is crossing a line or anything they could do? Like personally, in like a moral, ethical way. Yeah, like I feel like they have crossed some lines and they, they probably will continue to do so. But in terms of like, can I think of anything that would actually like really surprise me no I mean I was just watching a reality show actually okay so I do have some time to watch because with my daughter we've been watching is it cake which is just Netflix so yeah is, is it cake is it cake <laughs> literally if you haven't seen the show that is the premise is the thing I'm looking at cake or is it not cake and it is gripping so yeah um, right. I don't think this, I will pretty much watch anything and I don't think there's anything that would surprise me I mean, you talk about like, you know, we have our personal morals and stuff like that. And I sometimes question not only desensitization, but like, you know, my my loosening of morals have come from these reality shows, have come to expect that if I'm at a dinner table, I could throw down a book like Teresa Giudici and make a huge point. And uh, I mean, you know, we talked at the beginning of this you know episode, but literally we're watching the Oscars. Will Smith slaps Chris Rock. At the Oscars. And to me, that's a reality show moment if you've if you've ever seen one. Like that is a reality show moment. And at the same time, I was like normalizing that. And then the further I get into the week, I'm like, that is so far from normal on that stage. That is so far from normal at an, uh, a respected, esteemed award show. I mean, 
is reality shows affecting the culture so much that it is loosening our collective morals or is that just the world in general? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because when that happened, when you go to Twitter, the first response that people had was kind of, this was fake, right? This was staged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's everything. Right? And yeah, actually, yeah. it's interesting because then a reporter, I actually ended up doing an interview about this because a reporter wants to talk about, has reality TV led us toward, you know, our immediate impulse to be, this is not real, this is stage. And I do think, you know, reality TV, all these years of watching reality TV has kind of bred this skepticism in us about the images yes. that we see on the screen. Because we know, right? Like we know reality TV is not 100% real. Nothing nothing produced into a cultural product is 100% real. But reality TV, you know, like it's cast, it's scripted to some extent, like they're applied with alcohol, right? It's edited. We understand that. And so we it's bred in us, I believe, a really deep skepticism about, you know, the media that we consume, um, a skepticism, by the, by the way, that Donald Trump was able to really kind of draw upon to his advantage. So I think it's really telling that the first response to that, and, and I think people know that it's real now, but the first response was, oh, that was that was a bit that was staged. Yeah. Right. That yeah, had, yeah. had to both be in on all three of them had to be in on it. And I don't think I mean, looking back to like other huge moments like that at the Oscars, like the streaker, right? Like, I don't yeah. think at that time people, the first response was, oh, this was staged or this was planned or somehow it wasn't really well, a streaker, right? Like, I think there I mean, was thank God we didn't have Twitter them. back then. Like, I got, yeah. I, I long for a day without Twitter, but it is interesting in this day and age, and especially over the last two years, everything is staged now. You won't find a moment, like, and that's what's really frustrating is because you're like, oh, think this through, guys. Like, they're not going to stay like this is actually their lives and careers. And they, they, there are certain things that are just real and they're stupid human moments that are. I mean, you talk even like in the beginning of the book about seeing like somebody dressed in a chicken suit on a subway and nobody even noticed or nobody even looked up or so it was something like mm -hmm. kind of like how bizarre real life can actually be. But we in our minds, we need to think everything is a staged bit now. Everything is for ratings or likes on Instagram. And I find that such a weird uh, time to be living in. But like you just mentioned with Donald Trump, I was a huge fan of The Apprentice. I watched every season. I, I mean, in no, no way in my did I ever go, you know, he's really good. I think that guy should be president. Like there was just not even a yeah. thought in my mind. But I really enjoyed him as a reality TV uh, kind of leader. Um, would he not have been president if he didn't have uh, The Apprentice as a reality show? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I actually, I have to say, I watched The Apprentice a lot too. I really liked the show. I actually stopped because his decisions started to seem really capricious. I mean, they didn't really make sense. Um, and also they extended it to two hours. Like, I, I can't watch. I, it's hard to watch two hours of any reality show. Um but yeah, I think, you know, you know, we can't really prove causation, right? But is it reasonable to believe that, you know, because people saw him, you know, wearing a power suit, sitting behind a desk, barking orders, that that kind of hastened his ascent to the presidency? It's interesting. It didn't disqualify him, right? People didn't say, well, he's just a reality star. We're not going to vote for him. You know, I have had, you know, people tell me, um, like people who have campaigned, say, say we're campaigning for Hillary, that you know, people told them like, no, I want to vote for Trump. I really liked him on The Apprentice. So there is some kind of anecdotal evidence that, you know, oh, yeah, he had this kind of likable, powerful persona that people gravitated toward. And I think it's reasonable to suspect that that did hasten his ascent to the presidency. But of course, you know, we can't really prove causation. 
I mean, as a viewer, Trump is great on TV. Trump is really like really in that reality show sense, a very good reality show archetype, whether it be a villain or hero, whatever you want to think. But it is interesting. I, I want to keep an eye on Kim Kardashian because I think she will eventually very much get into politics. And I think this is going to be a natural escalation. Now, if you want to get into politics, you're going to have to start in reality at some point, which is hysterical to me. Interesting. Yeah. What are your thoughts on uh, reality shows in terms of there's another added element to it. Now it's blending with true crime in a way. You know, if if you watch Real Housewives of Beverly Hills or Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, you know, we have people, there's like a whodunit almost of, did Erica know? Did Chen, Jen Shaw do these things? And it kind of, our obsession with murder and mystery and all of this Dateline stuff, there's these really weird blurred lines I see happening. Do you see that at all? Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I do. I sort of touch on true crime, um, like in the case of Tiger King, right? Talking about, you know, the reality TV that we that we watched during the early days of the pandemic. And I think <laughs> the reasons that we tuned into Tiger King at the time. But yeah, that like true crime element being infused in reality TV now. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about that. Absolutely. I mean, oh my I don't know. Wait, would I have just, would I have just got an A in your class? Would I, yes. if I could write a pay, could I get an A in your class? Oh my God. Absolutely. Uh, um, the book is so amazing, you guys, because it really does go section by section, whether it be a Kardashian section or she even goes into the Bachelor, Bachelor Nation. She dives into that. And I think it is so interesting how we as an audience, we just accept that this is a way to find love. Like it is it is one of the most unrealistic ways to ever form an actual human relationship. And the statistics speak for themselves in that none of these relationships usually seem to last. But it is one of those funny things is that we suspend disbelief when it comes to these big emotions in the sense that we're going to make love a game show. And now we get to participate in ourselves with dating apps in a way. Yeah. So I think some of them, a few of them have lasted. The show is really quick. Yeah. I mean, for like Ryan and well, Trista and Ryan from the early, early season. Right. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting. Like I, I, in terms of why we tune in to The Bachelor, I think there's a lot of that. Again, you talk about hate watching, right? There's a lot of that watching, that kind of voyeuristic, the train rack approach, right? Where you're watching because you're like, these people are nuts to be like on this show, like saying they're in love with someone after like four hours of being with them, right? What are they doing? Like wearing sequin ball gowns at like 10 a.m. <laughs> and drinking champagne, right? This yeah. is so different from my life. And so it's that kind of distancing, right? Where you're watching the train rack to remind yourself that, you know, even though you might be messed up in your own ways, you're not like those people over there who are participating um, on The Bachelor. So I don't know if people watch because they think it's like a legitimate way to find love. I think there's a lot of that kind of train wreck voyeurism effect happening. I hope so. I mean, I really, and I, I do agree per se, but sometimes you'll catch on like that they're treating this seriously. You know, that, and even the contestants on there, you know, a guy will come in as The Bachelor and be like, I really feel that my wife is in this room. And I'm like, that's not even a feeling. You don't, that's not a real thing. There's no real feeling there. That's not a real thing. And I find that interesting that we kind of just accept that. We're like, yeah, I think he might be right. But I think he, they're real. Like if you read like say Bachelor Nation, right? And she points yeah, out, Amy right? Coppin, yeah, great. yeah, it's a great book. And I think as she points out, right? It's not that the feelings are fake necessarily. Like they, he might actually, I mean, maybe he's performing, right? But like to some extent they, they're like, you're stuck in a place with like these people and you're taught to think about this one thing all the time. Eventually you start to have those feelings. 
and they take away their phones. They lock them in right. a small space. They make it, you know, it, you know, I'm sure in that like elevated climate, you are thinking like, oh my God, I think I'm in love. Like yep. I'm in love with three people. Wow. Yeah. Um, you brought up earlier and you bring up in the book, and it's so funny because I started uh, off as an actor and I studied acting and I think it was Stanislavski or Uta Hagen or somebody that said, maybe it was Shakespeare, who said, you know, theater is what, you know, holds a mirror up to, to society and shows them themselves. And I find it interesting that that now is kind of spun off into reality shows. And it, to me, is such a, you know, going from theater or the written word to a reality show and that actually being the true mirror of society. Um is how I keep going back to the Funhouse Mirror, but is there a reality show out there now, or you know, we had mentioned the first season of Real World that actually genuinely reflected where we are as a society without insanity? Oh, um, yeah. I mean, but I think they all reflect where we are, but but in 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 their funhousery right yeah they, they can teach us about where we are but you mean kind of in like a verite kind of way yeah like yeah. the first season of the Road, or even the first season of survivor i know we kind of think about it now in terms of how it is now like what like a million seasons later but that first season i was when i went back and rewatched it for my book it was it's very like almost naturalistic almost like a documentary right you saw like people's stomach flab like oh yeah R- richard was walking around naked with his stomach richard and you saw you saw the weight loss you saw rudy accepting a gay man yeah, there were life. senior citizens on there right and it was like and no one knew what the hell they were doing right like other richard was kind of playing a slick game but like nobody else was really playing a, like that game a social game in that sense they were just kind of this is a great experience this is you know the fun right um so yeah, in that sense, I think, you know, Survivor, Survivor season one, even though it had been years since the initial real world, um, you know, teaches a lot of, us a lot about ourselves and, you know, how we do things in small groups and our kind of small social dynamics. Uh, you mentioned this, as I think it's a real quick passing comment in the book, but, you know, the real world, I keep talking about it because it started off one way and then it eventually by season 30 was just a bunch of kids in a hot tub drinking Red Bull vodkas. And it was very different. And the same thing with Survivor. Like you then all of a sudden by this season, you've had people raised on this game. So they come in with like actual plans, actual game strategy when these earlier seasons of all of these shows are the realest you're ever going to get. And sometimes you'll love the show, but it just naturally changes. And I guess that's us as a society too, is we just naturally change over the years. Yeah. And again, our skepticism about, you know, the social constructedness of the media, right. And what we're consuming um, and then what we're being a part of. Right. So you have people who you know go on the show with, OK, I'm going to be the villain, but I'm going to have a redemption arc in the end or I'm going to sell my green juice. Right. Or I'm going to it's OK if I don't win. I'm going to use it as a platform for whatever influencing thing I have going on, um, which, again, is very different. I agree. It's very different from the original. But I think, I mean, you know, as I. I, I recently, though, I have noticed that there has been kind of a trend toward kind of more boring reality TV. I think it's kind of an offshoot of the pandemic because they haven't really been able to go on like big trips. Right. So even the last season of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, which in, in some ways was like a true crime. I, I, I'm really coming around to that. Um, right. A lot of it was just them sitting like they went on a trip, but they like just sat around that big house talking. Right. Which was very much like a throwback to the first real world just out of necessity because they couldn't really go anywhere or do very much or interact with very many people. 
I mean, you hear that first season. I mean, that conversation between Kevin and Julie about race. And you're yeah. just like, that happened that long ago. And then it's so interesting now, if you followed, uh, and all you guys know, we talk about this a lot on Bravo, is that they've brought really, they've tried to have these big conversation about race to varying degrees of success because mm-hmm. you are dealing with these high, you know, these highfalutin characters that are just out into the stratosphere. And we're trying to talk about this intelligently. And I thought, what a beautiful conversation that was had, you know, with 30 years ago that was so realistic and true. And sometimes I wonder if these shows can hold the weight of these important conversations. I mean, I think, yeah, a format like The Real Housewives is probably not going to be able to hold the weight of that conversation, (laughs) right? But if you look at something like, you know, The Real World Homecoming, where the original cast came back, right, they're having the same conversations, right? Which is, yeah, which is really depressing because it shows us how far we've not come as a society, right? And there's still cast members who, like, just don't get it, right? Danielle, that was, like, that was the scariest part of that was seeing that people don't really change. Or you seeing the defensiveness of, uh, what's her name, the the girl that revealed that John Lennon was speaking to her in the actual real world house. I forget her, Becky, 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 Becky. Becky. But Becky, you know, okay, like very defensive about uh, a race and about how she treats African-Americans. It got really defensive. And it was one of the saddest episodes I had seen of reality television because I always want to believe in hope. And I was just like all these years later and we're still we're still sometimes in the same place. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, that was exactly my response. Even with Norm kind of saying you are going to look terrible. Right. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. have some awareness. <laughs> about how you, and yeah, no, she wouldn't listen. Uh, real world homecoming. Did you watch real world new or- New Orleans? Was that, pa- that was past the Lou, uh, London season, right? New Orleans, which that was which year 2000, was that? but that's the next season of real world homecoming. And they just released the trailer yesterday. It was the one where, uh, the one guy, uh, sang the song, come on, be my baby tonight, which I think became a, you, you need to, you'll know it if you see this, that. but I think I watched the second new Orleans, the one with Knight and Jemmy. And was that real? That yeah. was new Orleans. That was a different yeah, I one. Yeah. yeah, no, it's uh I'm really excited that they do that series. I think it is actually really well done, and I wish more people knew about it. Um, as we uh as we start wrapping up, I, I wanted to ask you, uh, I, I gotta like how do I get into the class? How do we get can we? I mean, we gotta buy the book. So the book, you guys, which I'll give all the information on that, is on Amazon. It is at a very low price, and I say we're so proud of these things. And some people make fun of us for liking this. This is something to be proud of. This is something you can take to the Thanksgiving dinner table. Do not throw down cop without a badge. Like Teresa, throw down true story and you will have some of the best conversations and you will impress your family and friends with the knowledge in this book. But what is your class like? Oh yeah, no, I was just about to say, thank you so much for, for that, that plug also. And it's, it's been really gratifying to have people like reach out to me and say, you know, I, I feel like I'm a smart person, but I never talk about my love <laughs> for reality TV. And it's it's yeah. really kind of sad that it still has this kind of guilty pleasure. It's a stigma. Is, There's like a secret it's shame really about still it. still stigmatized. Yeah. Despite the fact that, you know, more people are watching than not, a vast majority of people are watching reality TV. Yeah, we've had a reality TV president, yet it still, you know, has this kind of stink <laughs> associated with it. Um, which is really interesting to think about the reasons why. But yeah, so my class, um, it basically what we do is we pair episodes of reality TV with classic sociological readings. So you look at Real Housewives and you learn about sociology of class. So you look at RuPaul's Drag Race and you look about we talk about sociology of gender. Um, I'm teaching it again in the fall. So if you want to come oh on. God. This is at Lehigh College. Is this where, where Lehigh this University? Is? Yeah. Lehigh mm-hmm. University. I got, I wonder if I, I mean, that's not an online course though, is it? 
it's not, but you could join us. Oh my God. You know what? I might actually, no joke. That would be the coolest. Then I can update you guys throughout because this is my life now. Um, real quick. I just remembered this. I wanted to bring it up real quick. Uh, I wanted to mention Michelle Foucault's name so I could feel smart, but, uh, you, you, uh, you talk about, uh, MTV's, are you the one? And you had an interesting quote about, uh, sexuality of, you know, hiding away sexuality actually breeds uh, kind of more, I don't know, deviant behavior is the word, but this is actually showing different sexualities. Like that's actually a healthy thing, these shows in a way. Yeah. I mean, that show certainly is. And in some ways, you know, reality TV has been more diverse um, than other forms of television. Right. I mean, people think of reality TV as kind of this big, bad, big, bad thing. But, you know, there are positive aspects to the genre, right? Like, historically, it has been very diverse in terms of race, in terms of sexual identity, right? And yes, sometimes these are stereotypical representations and we should be wary about that. Um, but there is something to be said for representation. You know, and reality TV, because of its kind of format, has taken us into kind of the nooks and crannies of society where scripted TV hasn't taken us. You know, it's kind of taken us on a, this kind of broad tour through the landscape I mean, I'm missing some segments, but through the landscape of American society. So um, if you're looking for something to love about reality TV, I think that's that's one thing. No, I think there's so many things as shocking as it is. But it is funny, though. I even caught myself now on TikTok all of a sudden. And one of my favorite, quote unquote, reality shows is watching this like older man from North Dakota talk about his meals that he eats at like roadstop diners. And it's like. (laughs) He has like eight followers. I don't even know why. I don't even know why it got put in front of me, but I, it like weirdly comforts me and relaxes me. There's no storyline. There's no, he doesn't even know. Like he, and I'm like, why is this man doing this? Why is this? It's just, he's just talking about what he eats and he has this accent and it's, I don't know, it's fascinating. And I think reality shows have opened this door where I just keep thinking about this idea of, I know they're not going away, but we're all living in a reality show now just because of second screen technology and what Instagram and all of that is doing to us. Like, is it real if we don't share it? Mm. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's, that's a good yeah, point, by the, right? By the way, Danielle, I'm like, yeah, let's just get into a deep conversation about like, no, I just keep the, I, I just, I'm so happy to be talking to you. I geeks out so hard on this book and, and I just really want to thank you for doing this. I think this is such a cool thing, you guys. We got to support this so we can get more, uh, you know, people actually talking about what we're watching uh, and, and doing it in an intelligent way. Uh, it's just so important. Um, is there anything coming up that we can support you on? Or are you, uh, is there a next book in the work already? I'm sure it's not about reality shows. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, someone suggested that I write a book about how reality shows are produced. I mean, I think that's people have already written about that. So I don't know. Um, but yeah, no, but you just, may, but you haven't written about it. I have not. No, you, but I mean, but, I think right now I'm just, you know, working on like promoting this book and, and really, really enjoying, you know, the people who are like you, who are, who are saying kind words about it and who, you know, who feel like they're learning something from, from it. So I really appreciate that. Uh, definitely learn something from it. And, and just so you know, Danielle, this podcast is cake. Uh, this is cake. Uh, it's not You're a cake no. right now. Yeah, I am cake. If you got oh anything, I am cake. <laughs> I'm going to put this in Amazon, you guys, and I'll be talking about it all next week as well to remind you guys, but let's go buy some of these. Uh, I think this book should be very widely known and, uh, and you guys will really dig it. So Danielle J. Lindemann, thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me. It was really fun. Five, four, three. Betches.